0: So the reason that we, we played that song again this week is because although we're doing a study now on David for the next wee while, really it's the greater son of David, that's Jesus Christ that we want to turn our eyes upon. Yes, we're going to learn about David, we're going to learn about his life, and there's so much in it and so much richness, and I love David as a character, but really it's his greater son, it's Jesus Christ who came down the line of David that thrills my heart. And that's why last week and this week we played that particular song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Because if we get a vision of him, if we get a look at him, things will change. And last week, you'll remember that last week we talked about how God had chosen David, how he had even called him when he was just a boy. In First Samuel chapter 13 we saw he must have been a very young boy when God first recognised that, that David was a, a boy or a young, young man after God's own heart. And we saw last week as well, particularly that not only David is called, but that we have been called, that we have been chosen we have been called to be daughters of of god and, and that call is on our life. We saw right from before the foundation of the world. We saw Ephesians chapter one verse four tells us that God known you and called you from before the foundation of the world, and we saw last week particularly that God wants to yeah not, he wants to save us, and he wants to bring us to heaven. But more than that, he wants to actually change us and transform us or conform us. And, and Romans 8 and 29 says that we are to be conformed, made into the shape of or the image of Jesus Christ, God's son. And, uh, and there's a lovely verse in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 where it talks about how when we look into the face of God, when we look into the face of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, and we gaze into the face of Christ, How we are actually changed just by looking into his face. It says, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, looking into the Lord's face as if we're looking into a mirror. We behold the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed into the same image as Christ. From glory to glory. That's an ongoing that's an ongoing transformation that God wants to happen in our lives. God wants you to look more like Jesus and to carry his glory more and more today than you did last week. And next week more than you're doing this week. And we, we looked at that last, last, uh, last Tuesday. So we're going to continue. We're going to zip forward now from First Samuel 13. Uh, we're going to zip forward to First Samuel 16. And this is where we pick up the story with David. In between these two chapters, King Saul was going further and further away from God. He was becoming more and more disobedient. He was becoming more and more stubborn. And he turned away from God. And so God came in and began to pick up the story for Samuel. Let's look and read the first four verses in 1 Samuel 16. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him? from reigning over israel fill your horn with oil and go i'm sending you to jesse the bethlehemite for i have provided myself a king among his sons and samuel said how can i go if saul hears it he'll kill me but the lord said take a heifer with you and say i've come to sacrifice the lord then invite jesse to the sacrifice and i will show you what you shall do so samuel did what the lord said I just wanted to kick off with those few verses because I want you to get the picture. Samuel was the guy who anointed King Saul. He was Israel's first king, as you know. And Samuel had a kind of an emotional attachment, it would seem, from trying to encourage Saul and getting him to become a good king. But finally, God said to Samuel, Look, I want you to rise up and I want you to go and anoint somebody else because I want you to to let go of Saul because Saul's not going to respond. Saul is not going to do what I want him to do, so I want you to go and take the horn of oil and I want you to anoint another one called David. But you see, the thing was that, that Samuel, it was kind of breaking his heart. Have you ever been in a relationship where you really wanted to hang on? And where you really thought, I need to hang on here because uh, I, I, just, I don't care if I'm going to go down with this person or not, I'm holding on to the bitter end. And you see, sometimes God says, not just for a relationship, but sometimes something that you're doing in your life or some habit or something that you don't want to let go of, sometimes God will put his finger on that and he'll say, you know what, I want you to let go. Now is the time to let go. And so Samuel didn't want to. He was afraid. We're going to see in a minute why he was afraid or why we think he may have been afraid, but he certainly was afraid that Saul would find out and that Saul would maybe have had him killed. So he was very worried about this. And I'm wondering as we start off this morning, is there something right now, because I don't know what's going on in your life, is there something right now that you're worried about? Is there something right now that you feel a prompting in your spirit, that you need to move on? You see, this verse that we have at the very beginning, you have an anointing. This verse is picked up from 1 John's little epistle to verse 20. And it says you have an anointing and you know all things because when you trusted Jesus as your saviour the Holy Spirit came into your into your life, into your heart and you received an anointing from the Holy Spirit at the moment that you got saved and the Holy Spirit's anointing is able to teach you and show you the things that you need to know. The Holy Spirit's the one who can actually teach you the scriptures and teach you how to grow spiritually. And, and you see... God had told Samuel, you've got to let go of that situation and you've got to take the anointing oil, and you've got to move forward. But Saul didn't want to do that. And the Lord said to him, how long will you mourn for Saul, saying I've rejected him? I wonder this morning, are are you holding on to something that God wants you to let go of? You know, if we don't let go of the old, we can't get the new. Isaiah 43 says, the Lord speaks and he says, behold, I do a new thing. Do you not see it? Behold, it even springs forth. Listen, you've got to see, you've got to have a vision of Jesus. And if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you will begin to have eyes. The Holy Spirit will teach you what the new thing is and how to move into it. And the Apostle Paul in the Philippines, he said, uh, holding on, he said, to the past, I reach forward to the future and yet he, he, there's a point comes where you're either going to hold on to the past or you're going to reach out to the future and there's a point you can't straddle it like this you can't for a wee while but God's saying I believe this morning to some people here leave the past and move into what I have for you in the future and I want to tell you that God he does not disappoint he's a god who will take you through and even if it's a difficult situation and even if you think you're sinking god will take you through but you gotta you don't get it by without faith you get you can't hold on to the prop there comes a point where you have to let go and you have to move forward and so that's exactly what happened here and 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 samuel asked a question that i think a lot of us ask here's what samuel said to the lord how can i go and maybe you're asking the Lord, this well, morning, how can I do this? How can I do it? And the Lord gives the same answer to you as he gave to Samuel. Verse 3 the Lord said, I will show you what you shall do. I will show you what you should do. Do you know if you ask God to show you the way to go forward, whatever that situation is, whatever you're concerned about, whatever your worries about, if you just simply take a little bit of time and ask the Lord to show you and you keep your ears open, your sparking and ten up. I'm telling you God will show you because you have the Holy Spirit within you and you don't need to be in the dark. You have the Holy Spirit who is the one who teaches you, the anointed one. And you have been anointed at the moment of salvation. I'm I'm pushing through this fairly quickly because there's some things I really want to get to this morning that I think are really, really important. You see, it wasn't that easy for Samuel to do this because he knew that Saul was a kind of a, a very erratic Angry king who had done a lot of bad things, and we're going to see throughout the next months he, he did a lot of, he, he continued to do a lot of bad things. But it wasn't easy for Samuel, and so Samuel was going to arrive. In obedience to God, he was going to arrive in Bethlehem. And let's just read on and see what it says. It says in verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, 'Do, Do you come peaceably? And Samuel said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So you get the picture, he's arrived in Bethlehem, he's obviously a bit nervous, maybe everybody's a bit nervous because they're wondering what's this big prophet coming, you know, is there trouble? Is there some kind of trouble here? Are we going to get in trouble with King Saul? Because King Saul might have been going to do something that was harming him. Now there's another suggestion here, there's a school of thought, and I am not saying that this is the case, but this is a possibility. One of the reasons—it is a possibility as to why Samuel was so concerned and why the whole community was trembling. In Psalm fifty-one, verse five, David wrote, as you know, he wrote lots of psalms, and in that particular psalm, he said that he was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did his mother conceive him. Now, I was always brought up to believe that that meant just like the rest of us that we were all born in sin. We were shaping in iniquity. We're all born in sin. And that's the truth. We are born in sin when we come into the world because of Adam's sin. It's come right down the generation, a bit like a virus. We've all got the sin virus. And when we come into the world, yes, we are sinful creatures. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross to pay for our sins. But there's another school of thought that possibly on top of that, That there's a little query and some theologians believe there's a possibility, I'm not saying for sure, but some of them believe there's a possibility that David actually might have been born out of wedlock. That either his mother had an affair or Jesse had something or other going on and that he may have been the only son that was born out of wedlock. And as we continue in the story, if that's the case, that might, it might explain a few things. Because there's a psalm that David wrote, uh, it's a messianic psalm in, in Psalm 69, and it's about the future sufferings of Christ, and David wrote it. But there's actually some stuff in that psalm that also could have been about his own suffering. And I want him just to get a couple of those things and kind of look at how that might fit if he, indeed, if he was... Uh, born out of wedlock. So let's just look at this Psalm 69 for a moment and I'm going to pick out a few things. Because believe you me if, now I'm only saying this, if, if David had been born out of wedlock he would have been born illegitimate and the law said that an illegitimate child couldn't come into the presence of God. It actually, I'll quote it to you, one of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. Now, the next verse actually goes on to say that neither should a Moabite enter either. very interesting that David's family came from the Moabites back to Ruth. Is it amazing that God's Old Testament laws that that are so ingrained how God, through grace, overcomes? Mm -hmm. We would say that's a done deal. The law says, out. God says, by grace, I'll work around it. That's why Jesus came to pay the price. Isn't it wonderful that there's nothing too hard for God? That God can work in and around situations that we think, well, I'm stumped now, I'm done for now. Grace by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it's a gift of God. And so we see that, that in this psalm, that if, if he's written this psalm, and, and it was David who wrote it, and he may have been talking about himself because if he had been born out of wedlock, he'd have had a hard time growing up. Believe you me, his own family probably gave him a hard time, his own brothers and sisters because of the stigma that there would have been around that and in strict Jewish law, people would have been really like like outcasts, was that why he was out in the field and wasn't in the house? You begin to wonder when you start to think about it and in those days if someone if someone was uh, born out of a uh, born illegitimate, <coughs> the whole community would have really given a lot of trouble. So bear that in mind as we read through some of these verses. So Psalm 69, he says in verse 3, I am weary with my crying, my throat is dry, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. I wonder as a little boy, did David have a heavy burden of feeling that he had stigmatized and that he wasn't accepted the same as the rest of his brothers? Isn't it interesting that Jesus himself was born into this world with a lot of natural confusion and a lot of people who believed that he was illegitimate, the greater son of David. You begin to wonder when you start to open up your mind. Now, I'm still not saying that it's for sure, but there are certainly some signs. And if a child was brought up in that community among strict Jewish people, they would have felt very ostracised and very unclean because of their birth. Verse 4 in chapter in Psalm 69. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Though I've stolen nothing, still I must restore it. Look down to verse 7, the end of verse 7. Shame has covered my face. Look at verse 8. I have become a stranger to my brothers. Right? And an alien to my mother's children. I wonder are there two different groups there. My brothers and then some other children belonging to my mother. I don't know, I'm not saying for sure, but it certainly looks like there's some things here that are questionable. It looks further down to uh, verse 11. It said, The, the psalmist David wrote, I, I also made sackcloth my garment, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate, that would have been the, the leaders in the community. It would have been a bit like the, yeah, the leaders of the community leaders. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. This is David speaking. Now he's speaking prophetically because his sufferings were prophetic and Jesus fulfilled all of these. It's a messianic psalm. It's about, it's about Jesus and the sufferings that he was going to have. But was David first and foremost reading this about his own sufferings? Was he reading what it was like to be a little boy and to know shame and something that he had nothing to do with? Do you know that still happens nowadays? I could tell you somebody has gone through that just because of who she was. Family members being hard. Then it goes on to say, Deliver me out of the mar, let me not sink, verse 14. And then verse 19: You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also give me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now we know that that was fulfilled by Jesus. We know that Jesus fulfilled that with the vinegar and, and the gall at the cross and all of that. But does this also describe a little boy who set aside at a separate table from the rest and only given gall to drink? Is it showing a pitiable little boy who had a lot of pain in his life? You know, sometimes we look at David and we think, Ah, oh, he had it easy. Sometimes we look at each other and think, oh, they had it easy. I'll tell you there's not any of us have it easy. Because one way or another the enemy comes in and one way or another we all suffer in different ways. And I'm not saying this is exactly the case for David because I don't honestly know, but I do see some, some, uh, some pointers there that would lead me to believe that he may have gone through quite a lot of pain. And if he wasn't, if he wasn't born out of wedlock, let me tell you, he was still born a sinner. He was still a product of the fall. He still experienced pain in his life because we all experience pain and David was brought up no different to any of the rest of us. And so you see that this is the background to David. And here is Samuel, this big prophet, and he arrives and he's, he's been sent by God to go and anoint the one that God points out to him. Let's read on the next few verses. So he comes and he gets the he, he particularly asks for the house of Jesse, because God had sent him to the house of Jesse. And uh, and and uh, it would seem as though there was some trembling going around going around, and perhaps the perhaps Jesse's family Perhaps there was just this little hidden thing and this bit of shame. Maybe that's why there was trembling in the community. I don't know, but it goes on to say. So he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that they first of all looked at Eliab, and I want you to get a, a picture of this because I actually love this. It's too dramatic. I have to kind of, I have to talk about this because it's so exciting. Because I, I love, I love the scriptures. I love the stories, and you picture this old prophet Samuel and he's coming up and he's a horn in his hand and the whole community's kind of trembling afraid of him. They're also afraid of Saul somewhere in the background and they see this horn and they're wondering what's going on? What's this man? What's this boy all about? And, and he arrives up and uh, he makes a point to go to Jesse's house and Jesse's beginning to think there's something going to happen to some of my sons. And so he's asking for the boys to come out and out comes Eliab the oldest one and he struts past. And you can just see Samuel thinking, wow he's a Fine-looking man. Look at the build of him. He would make a good king. He could be—he could be king after Saul. And you know the way our minds go ahead of it. You know the way we think. Oh, yeah. How often do we sum things up and we get it? You know, two and two (laughs) makes twenty-two. So he's ready ready to pour the oil over him, no doubt. But the Lord whispers to Samuel, "No, he's not the one." And he was right down the line of all of Jesse's sons. And every time Samuel thinks, "Maybe this is him." Yeah, he looks like a fine man, he'd be a good king. And the Lord whispers, this is not the one. And then I love this, the Lord whispers, look on his heart. Don't look on the outward appearance, but look on his heart. What are we talking about this weather, ladies? We're talking about our hearts. We're talking about how God wants our hearts to be more like his heart. God looks at your heart He doesn't know. There's nothing wrong with getting the outside fixed up a bit like I do my best. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord looks at our hearts. And that's why we are here this season, because we want our hearts to become more and more and more like Jesus. We want to show what He looks like to this world. We talked about it last week how we're saved to come into the kingdom. We're, We're daughters of the King when we receive Jesus as our Savior. We come into the king into the kingdom, we become into the family and into part of God's kingdom. And we are here on this earth with one purpose and that is to shine for Jesus. I'll tell you something, it's not actually not anything more complicated than that. It's simply to allow him to change us from the inside out so that we begin to shine and look like him and sound like him. We begin to speak like him. We begin to hear like him. That's what it means. That's what God wants. That's the kind of woman. That's the kind of daughters that he wants. Those are the heart. That's the heart that he wants. He wants your heart to be beating alongside God's heart. And so you see that he's gone right down all of these boys. And it comes to the end, Samuel says, verse 11, Samuel says to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then finally Jesse kind of, probably, I'm just imagining like, bit apologetic, well actually um, there is actually one still out in the fields out in the fields bring him in and so Samuel says bring him in, now I want you to picture this, here's this young boy, I don't know what he was, he was still young it would seem, because by the time he got to to slay the giant he still was in his teens it would seem according to what I've looked up in Theolosius and how they count things or whatever, he was still very young and yet he's out on his own. He's not in the family. He's not, you know, all spoiled brat in the family. He's out looking after sheep. And he's been out there for a very long time. And Jesse kind of forgot about him. It wasn't really too important to bring him in. And so they bring David in. And, and you know, I picture him out there in the fields. And I want, I want to stop here before we go any further. Can you imagine the years that that wee boy's been out in the fields? Can you imagine him writing some of those Psalms as a little boy? When he's looking after those sheep, when he's out in the the wilderness and he's out on his own, maybe a few stray shepherds with him and he's looking after these sheep, can you imagine him sitting down whenever he's having a wee rest with his feet up and he's writing, the Lord is my shepherd. Imagine, he knows how to look after those sheep. He knows everything about them. He knows the way they stray. He knows what they need to be fed and to be watered. He knows everything about the sheep and he's beginning to think, you know what God, you know everything about me. You know, God, I'm looking after these sheep, but you're actually looking after me. You're my shepherd. What an amazing picture of what, of what David was experiencing. You know, I believe that in the solitude out on the hills of Bethlehem, that is where I believe he most heard from God. You know, sometimes we need to get ourselves alone with God. And on Sunday night past, Alan, Alan's, uh, um, Jerry's son spoke about those times that we need to just sit in his presence. And allow ourselves to look into his face and to love him and to worship him and to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. And I believe David under so many Psalms. i just jotted down a few Psalms that you could look up yourself later, whenever you go home, and spend a bit of time looking at, at what David learned. What, what during those years that he was out on the hillside, God revealed Himself to David. Psalm eight. It says that that uh, it says that that God has set. The heavens, the the glory above the heavens. And it goes on to say how David recognises, he wrote Psalm 8, he wrote that God had made him to carry honour and glory. He realised that God had created him, that God had uh, made him, and he was worth something to God. If you read that psalm, it's so, so beautiful. He wrote Psalm nineteen where it says the heavens declare God's glory. It also says that God's God's law is sweeter than the honeycomb. I believe David was a young boy who loved he loved the Psalms. He loved he loved to write and he wrote many of the Psalms and he loved to, to read the law and he, he, he actually experienced that God's law, what God says was was sweeter. was sweeter than the honeycomb. And then of course he wrote Psalm 20, 139 where he, we looked at this one last week where David wrote about how God even saw him and knew him in the womb. That God even knew every word before he spoke it God knew, before, before the word was out of his mouth that God knew every word in his mouth. I'd love you to take a bit of time when you go home and to look up those Psalms and just to write down what David discovered, what the Holy Spirit showed him when he was out in the fields. David was brought in. And you know what? Samuel was going to anoint him with oil and he was never going to be the same again. Do you see when you accept Jesus as your saviour, you invite him to come in and take over your life, God means it to be a life-changing experience. And it is a life-changing experience if you truly trust him as your saviour. Because John's Gospel says that whoever, whosoever is born of water... And of the spirit. What does that mean? It means born of water means a natural birth. Your waters break, don't the ladies? The natural birth is by water. By spirit is a new birth where we where we are born again of the Spirit of God. Where at that moment when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit saves us. We can't see it. But the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. It tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1. Every single person who knows Jesus as Saviour has an anointing of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible actually says that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're, from, you're nothing of God if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And so all of you women are anointed. All of you women are have an anointing on your life. This this particular physical anointing of oil was going to change David's life. The moment you trust Jesus as your saviour, there is a spiritual anointing that you, changes you. You'll never be the same again. And, and I love Isaiah 10 verse 27, because it actually says there that the anointing, listen to this, the anointing breaks the yoke. When you have the Holy Spirit on you and you're, you, you know that you're anointed by God, listen, the thing that would be a yoke in your back that would pull you down and keep you in habitual sin and all of that, it's the Holy Spirit that can break that off you. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And the Holy Spirit is the most wonderful person. And, of course, we know that from the moment of the new birth that we are born of the Spirit. And we begin to operate and begin to live in a totally different way. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it was better. Jesus said it was better that he would go so that the Holy Spirit would come because the Holy Spirit was the helper. He was the counselor, the teacher, the one who reveals about the the Son, the one who guides us. He's our guide. He's our comforter. He's everything we need. I've given you lots of references there in John's Gospel. Now, it is possible that we can quench, you know, we can sin and we can do stuff that quenches the Holy Spirit or, or grieves the Holy Spirit. But God has made a way, a means for us to come and be forgiven and washed clean again. And if there's any blockage, any quenching, or any grieving, that we can be forgiven and the Holy Spirit will flow again because the Holy Spirit. It wants to be like a fountain in your life. Jesus said to the woman at the well that he was offering her something that would be like a a river or like a fountain inside her that would flow up and overflow the those around. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Holy Spirit coming in to live in you and to be bubbling up within you, teaching you and comforting you and giving you everything that you need, being your helper, being the one who will counsel you, the one who will fill you up with the Holy Spirit so that you're not only comforted and guided but actually it's flowing out to those around you. That's what it's all about. Now, David, from this moment on, was going to be different because he was anointed and he was going to be anointed to be the king of Israel and his life was never going to change after this. There's something about the anointing. You know, the enemy hates to see the Holy Spirit on our lives. I just read this, uh, I was lying in bed last night and I was, couldn't get to sleep for a good while and uh, I just happened to come on this. Did you know that the, that the Apostle John, whenever he was an old, old man, that the Apostle John was actually put into a, a container of boiling oil? Now, apparently, the uh, Roman emperor, Dominican, had ordered, this is what history tells us, it's not in the Bible, but the Roman emperor had ordered that John should be cast into a boiling vat of oil, as if to say, here's your anointing. Because John was always talking about the anointing. It was the old possible John that said, but do you have an anointing? You already have an anointing. Sometimes we're praying, oh, please anoint me, please anoint me. Are you already anointed? you have the Holy Spirit? Jesus was the anointed one. He was the one that is the one that we look to. He's our, our Messiah. But we have also received an anointing. And so this emperor, apparently, according to secular history, says that this emperor said, well, here's your anointing. I'll give you your anointing. Mocking him and put him into a boiling vat of oil. Do you know what happened? John came up out of the vat of oil unharmed because you see John did have an anointing from God and God had more for John to do. You see if we submit to God and God has stuff for us to do there's nobody can take us out before God's time. If, we're, if you're here today and you're ready to say Lord I'm tired of holding back from you. I'm, I'm tired of holding on to the past. I don't want to be like that. I want to let go. And I want to go forward. And I want to present myself to be available to you. I want to be changed. I want you to come and transform me. I want this constant changing. I want to grow like you. And I want to be available for whatever you've called me to do. The enemy can't take you out until God is fulfilled. Because God is over all. And so... John was an old man, and I just said at the bottom of this little thing that I read, it said, submit and respond to God's anointing in your life, and the Spirit of God will protect and also inform you, because the Spirit will show you and teach you what you need to know. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. Listen, it's the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one who knows everything. He's the one who actually can reveal to us what God the Father and God the Son are talking about. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who can come and comfort you and lift you up whenever you're in your darkest, deepest place. Whenever you're in that place where you feel, I can't go on and it's just too hard, it's the Holy Spirit who comes. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's a paraclete. He's the one who comes alongside. And you see, we have been called out to this. When we talk about about the church, we actually talk about a called out people. We are called out from a dark world to shine and to look like Jesus. Whenever I was growing up, I used to talk about I used to talk about or I used to hear people talking about the ecclesia. It's the, the, the called out ones. but actually I've since now been told that actually the correct way to say it is the ecclesia. <laughs> so we are the ecclesia. We have been called out to shine as lights in this world and to show God's kingdom until he comes and to shine more and more and to be transformed to look more and more like Jesus. Does that make sense? And so there's this push for more and God wants us to keep going for more. Now, I wanted to finish off with a couple of things here that are quite personal, but I wanted to just show you how uh, God wants to uh, strengthen us now, there's a, I just came on this in in Psalm eighty nine. If you want to, you can look up, or you can just listen. But in Psalm eighty nine, it says, "Here's what the here's what the, the the Word of God says: I have found my servant David." And actually, in some of the translations, it says, "A man after my own heart." I'm just going to look up the other translation. I'm pretty sure that's what it says. Uh, I have I have two translations here. Just let me read the book of them. So uh, Psalm 89. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established. And my arm shall strengthen him. Now I want to suggest to you that I believe God wants to give you this promise today. The promise is that he has found you. He found a servant, David, but he's also found you. And he's anointed you. If you have trusted Jesus as your saviour, then you are already anointed. So he has anointed you, he says, I've anointed David with his holy oil. He's anointed you with his Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, I will steady him with my hand. Now, I wonder, are you steady this morning? Do you need God to come and put his hand on you and steady you? That's what God wants to do today. So he's anointed you, he wants to steady you, and then it goes on to say, with my powerful arm, I will make him strong. My powerful arm, I will make him strong. Let me just read it again to you. I closed the page there too quick, so I'm going back to it again. Psalm 89, where it says, With whom my hand shall be established, also, my arm shall strengthen him. I believe that God wants to really speak to us this morning about giving all of our strength to him. Do you know why? Because he has given everything to us. God has saved us with his strong right arm. You know, when we were here in May, I think it was, before we broke up for the summer. If you remember, probably oh, don't remember, but I was talking a little, little bit about how the, the Jewish people talk about God's strong right arm. And that really grabbed me over the summer. I kept thinking about God's strong right on. And so Jane and I, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our holiday in America. We went to America and before we went, Jane um, was very excited because she wanted to go just to one place, Kat Von D. Anybody know who Kat Von D is? No. No. I've said it right, aren't I, Kat Von D? Kat Von D, she has a tattoo place in Los Angeles. Now Jane has one or two tattoos and they're very, very special for her. They're verses of scripture. In fact, would you believe it? That she was in a car accident many, many years ago and uh, she was lying in Craigaven hospital, she had broken her back, and I was called to come in, and when I came in, realised that she was badly hurt. And I remember standing over her and I began to pray over her in that hospital. And I remember praying, Lord, I'm declaring that you know the plans that you have for Jane. Harms to, to prosper her, to give her a future, not to harm her, but to give her a future. You know that fabulous Jeremiah 11 And I remember just praying of her. Do you know that so many years later, that's one of the tattoos that she decided to go for. So she was going to get it in her back, and so she was going to get them. to write, right. I know the Lord says. I know the plan that I think for you. So whenever she so went in, the boy he was putting the verse, and he was putting a wee clock, a timepiece. And so he says to Jane, any particular time? Jane says, no, so he put in the time. So later on that night, we were looking at him, and I was thinking, that looks well, Jane. I'm thinking, look at the time on that. Do you know the time on the timepiece was exactly the same time that Jane was laying in the hospital bed all those years ago that I prayed over? Would you believe that? Now, of course, because Jane got a tattoo and got another one on her foot as well, and different, there's quite a few little significant things there, but because she got that done, we obviously had lots of, uh, you know, lots of conversations because I was brought up to believe that tattoos were not right. And I know that Leviticus tells us that you're in fact, oh, I think I actually have written it down. Yes, I'll let me let me um, read this to you if I can just find it. Uh, Leviticus says, You shall not make any cuttings on your in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. So I was always taught that means no tattoos, finished. But the more I studied it, it's, it's actually what the heathen do it's the marks for the dead, it's the cutting and the marking for the heathen because. Uh, and some people say, you know, that the Jewish people, some of them, some of the very strict ones, uh, don't believe in tattoos because they consider that they're breaking the, um, what do you call the, the um, five books of the Bible, they're breaking the, uh, the Torah. Torah. So, obviously we had conversations about this. So, uh, I began to realise then, one day I was reading through uh, the book of Isaiah, and it came to Isaiah 49. You know the lovely one where it says, I've written you on the palms of my hands? Uh, yeah. Do you know what the New Living Translation says? I have tattooed you on the palms of my hands. <laughs> so I began, to think, all right, right, okay. And then I began to look into Revelation. And it's so Revelation 19, verse 15. It describes Jesus when he comes back and he has this sword, you know, King of kings, Lord of lords. And on his thigh is name, was written this name. So it's on his vesture and on his thigh is written. Actually, the word is tattooed and also if you go to um, if you go to Revelation 14 you come to the first chapter and it shows you all of these 144,000 people who have been and the Lamb is with them and they're, they're, his names written over their forehead and names written again in, in, in uh, Revelation 22 one day it said that we'll be there in the middle of it all with a restored Eden everything restored, we're going to be in the kingdom and it says his name's going to be written over our forehead. So those of you, uh, well, it's up to yourselves, whatever you think about the tattoo, but anyway, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was quite happy, you know, with tea, and that that was fine. So anyway, we, we, we arrived, we drove down the side of America, and we arrived. Uh, after a few days travelling and quite a few detours, and we suddenly hit very heavy traffic coming into Los Angeles, and of course the two of us are sitting up in this big car. And if any of you saw pictures of us on uh, on Facebook, it wasn't that big blue one. We are just we were just kidding over that one. It wasn't that big one. It was quite a normal car. So we're driving down anyway, and we hit a place called Santa Monica. It was Santa Monica, Jane. And of course I didn't think it was going to be quite so big. So we're driving round and round circles, and we couldn't find, we couldn't see one. You know, one one place to stay. We couldn't see any any um what do you call those work any kind of bb or anything. Anyhow, we'd gone right round, round circles, and it was getting late, and the traffic was unbelievable. So we decided we needed, we needed an angel because we felt down the way that God had brought us to a few angels, and we were in time of need, we just came across people who were just just like angels to us. So we said, right, okay, we'll get out of the car, we'll pray, we'll ask the Lord to lead us to somebody. So we went into this into this uh, pepper session, and sure enough. There was a big, big black fellow behind the desk, but he couldn't speak any English. So we were standing around, and William and Jane went on out, and I'm standing on the door, and I'm thinking, okay, well, we're we'll prepared with this. And the next thing, this wee man hops in, all full of life, and he kind of paused, and I thought, hey, that particular moment, I said, excuse me, could you help me? Could you tell us if there's anywhere we could stay for the night? Oh, he says, surely, my dear, I can do you, I'm Dublin, man, in the middle of the all. So this wee man hops in, he says, just hold on, my, I'm just going to get some packet of peanuts. I'll go straight out and I'll leave you right there. So sure enough, we got out and he followed in behind the car. He drove us right up to this lovely place, pulled in, good, good price, all the rest of it, and we stayed there for the night. So the next, that night, Jane says to me, well, there's one sure thing, we'll never find Cat D. Come of this place, this no way. So anyhow, we... um next morning we get up, goes into the reception could you tell us how we get from here to Hollywood, that's all we want We get to Hollywood, LA so this we might to well tell you what, just you keep going straight out that road and that will bring you right there so we're driving in, we're driving in and um, we just turned around into the Hollywood area and I heard this scream <laughs> Jane kip on there's kip on <laughs> so nothing so would do Jane but we'd all get out and parked up the car trips us in you can have such a thing as a walk in so Jane did this walk in I wonder could you help me I'd like a tattoo on my arm (laughs) and I would like faith, hope and love on my arm so the wee guy was lovely he says go and get a wee wee drink down at McDonald's or something there and come back in half an hour and I'll do it for you so that's fine so he comes back so of course uh, I I want to see this i would never seen this in my life before so anyway we gets in and uh, came back again. Gunnar and we were sitting around. William and me, standing round there, and did the whole thing. It was coming near the end. And Jane, about halfway through, Jane says to me, "Would you think I get one?" <laughs> so going through my head, I'm thinking, "Lord, your strong right arm. Lord, you give your, you delivered me by your strong right arm." But all I could hear was just going through my head, "Lord, you delivered me with your strong right arm." And then I just had this thought, you know what, Lord? I want to give my strong right arm to you. Whatever days that I have left in my life, I want to give you the strength of my strong right arm. Amen. So this wee guy, he's finishing off his day, and he says, did you want one? <laughs> and I said, well, if I was going to get one, I would just want one word. He says, what would you want? I said, I would want Jesus on my arm. So he looked at me and he says, and I had thought, well, I knew there was somebody waiting, and I thought I've missed my chance because this lady is just about to come in. He looks at me and he says, if you want that name on your arm, if you want Jesus in your arm, I'll do it for you right now. And just in that moment, I go. <laughs> So, I don't care what anybody's about it <laughs> that has become so precious to me every time I look at it I could nearly weep and you see whenever I worship my arms up to Jesus I come in the name of Jesus I have no, I have no right before, before him only for Jesus yeah. and you see it's become so dear and so precious and a few people look at it in the past remark but I just i to tell you, you all I might as well step up right now <laughs> And you know what as we finish this meeting today i want to say to you that david recognized that god had saved him by his right hand, and god promised david i will save you with my right hand." and that's what he says to you but you know what i believe today that actually god wants a response from your heart Amen. i don't think it's enough for us just to hear constantly and not to respond to god i believe god's saying today i've given everything for you i give my I, you know the jews talk about how god delivered them with with a strong right arm and he gave his best, he gave Jesus and he's delivered you and I believe today as we would sing our last song and just before we sing our last song, if you feel that you want to kind of rededicate yourself I wonder if you're ready to say you might not want to do it in this particular way I'm not setting you all out to get tattoos (laughs) but I would love that, that you could have an encounter today and maybe it just means that we would stand and put our arms up and just say, Lord, we're declaring that we're giving you the strength of our arm, our strong right arm. Do you know what I, I, I was thinking? I was sitting at the breakfast table this morning. And you know what's shut in my mind? The song of Solomon. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Set me as a seal upon your arm. i tell you something. I'll never forget that. I will carry that to the grave. You know, thought, That's all I have. Give me Jesus. That's all I want. All I want to do is to glorify him. I wonder if we could just, if you feel it, could, do it, could you just put your arms up and let's just, I'll pray, and if just quietly, nobody needs to even see it. If you just feel you want to put your arms up and say, Lord, you've given your all for me. Would you just receive my surrender to give my all to you as I lift my hand up and lift the strength of my right hand to give you my best for the rest of my days, Lord, I just pray for this moment when people, and women, can do this. And just acknowledge, Lord, just that, uh, just that sense of touching heaven. Just that sense of saying, Lord, here I am. I want to give you my all. I want to give you my best. I don't want to give you anything less than my best. I want today to be a new line in the sand. I want to go forward into more that you're calling me into. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for every woman who has raised their hands today. May this be a personal encounter that leads on, Lord, not into something that just is forgotten about, but something that would lead into more of Jesus in our lives, more devotion, more surrender, that we would say afresh, God, we give you all that we have in Jesus' name. Be our vision, Lord, be our vision. We're going to sing a song, it's be thou My Vision and at the very end you know we always we'll come back at the very end and at the end I am going to ask anyone who wants prayer you can come up to the front you know we always do that, that there's a few people here who pray Joy and Jerry whatever I'm going to have a bottle of oil here as well now this is not to, to, any, to do anything hocus pocus but if you just want a reminder that you're anointed if you just want a reminder that you are an anointed one that, that God has anointed you and that God wants to he wants you to know that he values you and he has a purpose for you, that you fit in the body, that you belong to him. If you want to just rededicate yourself, when we finish this song, just come up and we'll just we'll just anoint you with oil. Just as a symbol and as a token of God's great love for you. Let's just really worship him as we sing this song. Be our magnetic.